0: Very good. Well, let's get into our, our lesson for today. So I've been thinking about... I know. I was thinking about this way before the sermon today, so I was actually able to listen to the sermon. It was quite, uh, quite inspiring. But uh, anyway, I thought what I would do today is tease your brain just a little bit. That never happens in here, so I thought, we'll just do that. Uh, we'll do that uh, for, a, for a change. But the, verse 23 really jumps off the page for me in terms of thinking about that. So I'm going to go ahead and read 23 to 27, but um, just I'll, go, I'll come back to verse 23. It says, "From there he went up, that's Isaac, went up to Beersheba." That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gerar and Ahazoth, his personal advisor, and Philco, the commander of his forces. Isaac asked them, Why have you come to me since you were hostile to me and sent me away? So verse 23 starts out with from there. From there. Now we remember from last week's lesson that the from there was not one place that Isaac had been. The from there was a multitude or a multiple number of times when he was moving. And the reason why he was moving was, obviously, there had been a famine. That, had, that was sort of in the background. But in order to sustain the, the uh, herds and the flocks and the people and the whole thing in terms of this enterprise that, that Isaac had now acquired... Um, you know, you had to have resources, and the biggest resource that was needed was grazing land as well as water. So we remember how that story went. Remember that last, last week we talked about that, that they would go to some place, and they were always having to deal with the Philistines. The Philistines is, is who is, uh, this is their territory, and Abimelech is the king of, of the Philistines. And so we remember way back when Abraham was the one who was there, wherever he would go with his flocks and his herds and his people, they would dig a well and then the well would provide the water that they needed to sustain their their business. Well, so Abraham, had, wherever he went, he had dug these wells, and so then what happened was the Philistines came in and they said, well, we don't like, we don't know who Abraham is anymore, we don't care, and so we're going to fill in the wells, remember that? And so they, they dig up the dirt and they throw it in the wells, and then it doesn't provide water anymore. So, so Isaac is going from place to place, somewhat retracing the steps, Right? Because he's going to the place where they had, uh, had filled in the wells, and he's digging them up again, and then you get, um, uh, then you get water. But the problem for, for Isaac was was that no matter where he went, it was disputed. So there was a- apparently, you dig a well, and it was maybe like a uh, uh, fracking for oil, <laughs> is that you know, you can go straight down if you want, but then the, everything goes out that way, and then the water table from over there comes here and then comes up, right? And so there were people that were arguing about whose water it was and whose well it was, and wherever he went, there was these, these disputes, until he finally reached the, his last destination, and he uh, dug a well, and nobody cared, right? It wasn't a hassle. So he digs a well, they find water, they're so happy, nobody, nobody's fighting over it. There was a comment or a proclamation that he made at the very end of the chapter that we looked at last week, and I'm so mad at myself because I didn't write it down on the lesson. So who remembers what it is that, that Isaac said in celebration for the fact that he was now at this place where they found water, they have this great well, they have these great lands, and they don't have to move anymore. Remember what he said? Hallelujah. <laughs> Close. It was something like that. God's name was used. Are you looking for... It's in Genesis. <laughs> it's it's a big
1: Genesis
0: you finding it? 26 is probably 22. It's probably, it's probably 22. Yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Is it?
1: moved from there and dug <laughs> it up
0: Okay, now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. What's the perspective that he now is taking toward all of the hassles that he had to deal with to get to that place? What's the perspective he's taking? God, God brought us here, right? God brought us here. And so the, here's the thing that I've been thinking about, is that it's making me wonder, does God move his people geographically in order that they can then be closer to him relationally?
1: Sometimes.
0: Yeah, I mean, sometimes, okay. Yeah, I, I would buy that. Because wherever you go, there you are. So God <laughs> <laughs> Wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> you know, I don't think we're going to remember anything else today except what you just said. Yeah, The corollary to that is that no matter where you go, you take you with you, right? So the perspective, see, the, he... He's taking, a, he's taking a step back. Maybe he's able to do that now because things are settled. It's kind of hard to take a step back when you're in the middle of the quicksand, right? But you get out of the quicksand, and you take a step back, and you go, somehow God steered us here. And because we're here, we're going to flourish, but it's going to be because of what God's blessing is for us it's not a, He doesn't say, oh, I'm so glad we're done with all that. I mean, he, you don't get that from him. What you get from him is, yeah, it was a hassle. Yeah, boy, there was a lot of arguments. There was all that kind of stuff. But now we're in a place where we can serve God and we can worship him relationally. And what it took was for us to move around geographically. See, I think that when people come to Texas from the north, you can just serve and worship God a whole lot better down here than you ever could up there, right? Yeah, Richard. You
1: know, that's just what happened to Kathy. She
0: just got <laughs> hey, That's <laughs> what happened to Kathy? No, no. Where's that buzz? Now, are we breaking HIPAA rules again? With know. This? <laughs> no, the other, day, on this. the
1: other day, I'm off the reservation again. Uh, she mislaid her glasses and she finally found out where they, she had left them and I happened to be we were doing another errand, so I took her by. Okay, she has volunteered at a particular elementary school for yeah. several years. Right. Volunteer and yeah. and um, the pandemic and everything has mm-hmm. thrown a curveball, ball and uh, she's now at another elementary school. Yeah. And She's going to
0: flourish. Yeah. You know, it was, you know, she gets to mold a new librarian. So it's, yeah. So it's really, <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. He does move you around. He moves us around. But it, even if you, I mean, here's the difficulty. You can't prove that. Right? You, you can't prove that because circumstances move us around, right? COVID moved us around. Uh, I have two friends that are both pastors of serving pretty what would be considered uh, high-powered, high very um, uh, successful, whatever we mean by that, churches, who are now taking calls and going someplace else. And of course, in our, in our world of LCMS, we, what we say is that God led the person to go do there. We say that, but you don't really mean it until later. Because initially, when God moved you to some place, it's like um, you. Later, you go, "Oh, what was I thinking? Why did I give that up?" And and then later, you look back and you go, "Oh yeah, this was this is what God wanted." Okay. So we don't always see it in the in the moment, but it's a perspective that you take. You see, I guess what I'm trying to get at here is, what is the difference that is made? If you take the perspective that says God brought me here and God is leading me here and God that I'm going to have a way relationally to get to know him better and worship him in a a different significant way, that perspective puts a whole new different light on any um, hassles that you have to deal with as a result of moving as a result of relocating, as a result of whatever. It puts it in perspective because you're able to cover over the hassles of whatever's happening in the moment with the idea that, no, God knows what he's doing. And God moved me in this way to that place. And that's what, that's what we're getting from, uh, from Isaac. It's a very powerful witness that he is making, a proclamation that he is making, and then living that proclamation every day in spite of, or maybe in the presence of, all of the hassles that went along with it as well. Yeah, Lawrence.
1: Many years ago, God took me from Texas and uh, went through Europe, and I wound up in North Africa. Yeah. And I was a whole lot happier in North Africa than I ever was in Texas. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was brought up in Texas Uh, with a bunch of hypocrites. So everything's not the best in Texas.
0: Well, I was. Oh, okay, for you. There you go. I
1: wish people in Texas would quit. Picking on people from the north. I, <laughs> the I will stand corrected on that. I have more funny in Pennsylvania, New Jersey <laughs> <laughs> than I have
0: in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, I love it when I touch a nerve, don't you? Yes. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, yeah, and then here. <laughs> so location-wise, we got think
1: about Egypt and the Old Testament people. So originally. Egypt keeps telling them stay away from Egypt, stay away from Egypt, and then you get to where he leads Joseph to Egypt, and then eventually his people come to Egypt because of the famine, yeah. and then they're there for all the time until Moses right. and then they go through that entire crucible and mm-hmm. that is an entire geographical location that it they is. wander That's through right. the geography and then they get to the land of milk and honey that Moses never gets to see so you keep bringing up that geography thing yeah. and I just think of the cross of Egypt mm-hmm. the same generation that we're going to be getting to sure. and how that shaped the entire post, you think of yeah. the Old Testament
0: yeah, they're I mean, God is not disinterested in geography. He's not. I mean, there's, there's purpose to geography for him. But at the end of the day, the thing that God cares most about is, is our relationship to him relationally. And, and so, because at the end of the day, that's the heart, right? That's where faith is. That's where trust, obedience, that, all that stuff that, that he keeps reinforcing. And I think to some degree... You know, God is always kind of working the stuff behind the scenes, and, and we're not aware of it. We don't even know it. And that's where we get a little impatient with God and say, well, can't you hurry up and do that? Well, yeah, but I got a bunch of other stuff that I got going first. I mean, that's kind of how God does it, right? And so it just is it, 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 part of that trust and obedience thing is, is that even if I can't see what he's doing, I trust that he is doing it. And even if I can't see how this is going to be worked out for my good, I trust that it will be. And that gives you perspective that takes you through difficult times. It takes you through times when it seems as if, the appearance of, is that the world is going to you-know-what in a handbasket, and there's no good in it. There's nothing God is doing in it. And that could not be further from the truth. Yeah,
1: saw a little sign many years ago. Uh Bloom where you're planted.
0: Bloom where you're planted. Yeah. And again, when that's relationally involving, you know what God is doing. A lot of times, the blooming that we do, we're not even aware of it that we're doing it. And then later, somebody comes along and says, you know, my life is different because of your blooming, right? Pretty good. All right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Isn't that the struggle, though?
0: Say it again. Isn't that
1: the struggle? The struggle is being patient and listening to God. Because you might not see His hand, and He has us move at times and pause at times. Mm -hmm. But listening and trying to find the heart of God or where we should be, Mm -hmm. even the struggles that He puts us through, He puts us through those to maybe be able to validate somebody else later on, mm-hmm. uh, learn something from that, mm-hmm. to be a better witness, to be a better friend later on down the road. When we are
0: moved to a
1: place and then we see why God has moved that.
0: Yeah, it, I, I just think that, maybe this is just me, I've never been able to discern God's will until I tripped over it. And so it's like, it's like, okay, if God is moving you over here or if he's giving you a job over there or, you know, whatever is the change that's happening for you, okay, is that sometimes you don't see it until afterwards you step back. And that's, what's ha- that's what happened with, with Isaac was that he was able to step back from all of the hassles that he had with all of this moving and somebody fighting over what was his and the whole thing. But instead, he didn't give up on God. He didn't say, oh, if God really loved me, this wouldn't have happened. He doesn't say that at all. In fact, what he just says is, okay, finally we're there. And now that we're there, God's going to bless us and we're going to flourish because of him. Okay? So now we can move on from uh, verse 23. We can move to verse 24. How nice is that, right? All this has occurred. And so then what does God do? He shows up that night, and he reaffirms the promise that he made to Abraham, which then was extended to Isaac and the descendants beyond. So he gives to Isaac the exact uh, validation of an affirmation of the promise. And he reminds Isaac that he doesn't have to be afraid. It's interesting, the, uh, the Hebrew there of do not be afraid is literally stop fearing. So there, there is a difference between being afraid and fearing is, is the point. Afraid is, a, is, a, is an emotion, okay? I mean, when, you know, when something surprising happens or something bad happens, we become afraid, right? That's a, an emotion. But what it's talking about here is stop fearing. In other words, stop giving into whatever way in which that being afraid might paralyze you in some way or might cause you to to rethink your faith in God. He says, "You you can trust in me, you can obey me because, and here's the great verse in there, the great phrase, for I am with you. Whenever we see that phrase, I am with you, it's not just a reminder of God's presence. But it's also a reminder of the relationship that we have with him and he has with us. For I am with you means you are my beloved. And nothing that you experience in life will change that. I am with you, right? And what a fantastic thought that is. Uh, What a fantastic perspective that gives you even when you're facing situations that are uh, insurmountable, that you cannot affect a change in, that you can't control or that you have no influence over. So then what does Isaac do? He builds an altar. Now, this is interesting because his father Abraham did exactly the same thing, didn't he? Wherever he went, wherever it was that God planted him, so to speak, one of, the, one of the physical things or the tangible things that he did was that he built an altar, and there it says he called on the name of the Lord, meaning that he kept worshiping and praying as, give, as a way of giving witness to who it was that brought him there and who it was that he was going to trust while he's there. Praying, witnessing, worshiping. That makes a huge difference difference and we'll see that later yeah austin i just imagine that that had to be difficult because when he was a kid his father made an altar
1: and he was on that altar and he almost was the sacrifice and it's kind of like um where we're at and
0: jesus is the lamb so as a kid he would have remembered that that would have been unforgettable right But then what also perhaps would have been unforgettable is that God stepped in and rescued him at the last second, right? So it would be the memory of everything leading up to it and then the memory of the redemption or the deliverance that would have occurred after that. Do you think, Austin, that after that moment, and maybe perhaps from then on, Isaac may have thought to himself, God is reserving my life for something special. You think? And that would be another perspective, wouldn't it be? That you could look at your life and you could say, hmm, you know, God, he must, he must have something special uh, in mind for me because he kept me from dying right at that moment. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Marty.
1: Possibly that's where the trust, he trusted from the very beginning. Very early on, he learned to trust that God was going to provide and take care of him. Yeah. And that kept on going all through his life. So.
0: That would be a very vivid memory, too, that, you know, real, really very vivid. Yeah, others, somebody else had their hand up. Other hand. Oh, Okay, all right, well, we keep on going. All right, so he builds an altar there. Okay, now, Abimelech, who's Abimelech? King, the Philistine king, he shows up, all right? Now, when did Isaac and uh, Abimelech last have an encounter? Last week. It was last week, yeah, a week ago. He remembers way better than we do, let me tell you, week to week, all right? And so remember that, that, that Isaac was uh, in the midst of this famine and all this bad stuff going on, and, and moving around and digging wells and getting water. Um, he became very wealthy. God blessed him materially. And the effect that that was having on the Philistines was they became jealous. They were envious of that. And so then they went to their king and they said, hey, we, we're very unhappy about this. You have to expel him from our lands. And so Abimelech went to, uh, went to Isaac and said, you're becoming way too powerful for us. You have to leave. So You know, Isaac said, okay, we're going to leave, and so he went, all right? Well, now Abimelech and his first commander and his advisor, they're coming to Isaac, and Isaac's saying, what, why, right? He doesn't know why. So let's pick it up here, verse 28. They answered, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So we said, there ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we did not harm you, but always treated you well and sent you away peacefully. <laughs> Man, is that guy a politician. Yeah. And now you are blessed by the Lord. Isaac then made a feast for them, and they ate and drank. And early the next morning the men swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them on their way, and they went away Peacefully, This is very interesting. Abimelech, the Philistine king, who worships multiple gods, most notably of which includes child sacrifice, and the sacrifice of prisoners, and all those kinds of things. Okay, terrible stuff. He says, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you. Now, what is it that they saw in Isaac that would have led them to conclude that the Lord was with them? Pardon? he another
1: well as well. Every place
0: he went, he was successful. So, his success is what they saw. That would lead them to conclude that the Lord was with them. The problem with that approach, I, and I get it, is that there were a lot of wealthy people. There were a lot of people who dug wells and had had water. There was a lot of flocks that grew and herd and the whole thing. So it would have been that plus what
1: His history?
0: Could be, but it doesn't mention his father. How about the calm he had
1: even through every time. He'd run into something he'd say, okay, and I'll just go this way. And he responded so well to how God was doing them. Maybe they thought,
0: why isn't he upset about things?" So are you saying that if, if we respond to people hassling us with calm? I guess you're not saying that because the look on your face says that you're not saying that. Yeah, yeah. But so, okay, so think about it. Think about the witness that somehow he was giving off. What was it that he was doing that people would see and conclude this guy believes and trusts and obeys his God? And because he's doing that, we see that the Lord is with him. The altar is the altar. Ah, the altar. See, the altar when he would call upon the name of the Lord, that was not like he was just thinking it. I love Jesus, he loves me. It, it wasn't that. That was a worshipful thing. And that worshipful thing would not have been lost, the witness of that would not have been lost on the, the Philistines around them. Okay? Then you couple that with the prosperity. You couple that with, in the midst of, of famine, there's this amazing uh, uh, you know, he planted the crop, member, and it came back a hundredfold. Nobody else was d- getting that kind of uh, result, right? What do they call that return on investment? Is that what they call that? The ROI? Yeah, he had the great ROI. Yeah, Barbara. But, but he built the altar in this
1: new place. Mm-hmm. How would uh, have known that the altar
0: was there? I mean, so that's a great point. So if worship and prayer and witnessing is part of your lifestyle. One altar in one place is going to do something for the people that are going to see it there, but that's already part of who you are. If, if, if how you're living your life is one of worship, it's one of prayer, and it's one of witness means the awareness that how I am could be my demeanor, certainly, Okay, how I react to stuff, Right? But if that's, if that's who I am, that's going to be noticed. And somehow that was noticed here. The, the building of the altar was certainly an expression of that, a physical expression. But, but the reality is, wherever Isaac went, he built, he built a, an altar. And he did it first. And he did it first. That was the very first thing he did. Yeah, great point. Uh, yeah, Sharon or Brian. Okay.
1: This. I don't get the fear of Isaac from their point of Isaac and an army. I mean, we got sheep herders and who's like, what I call a grarian. Yet there's a, there's a
0: respected fear of not a military. Yeah. I, you know, Abimelech, remember whether he was the actual guy or it was his um, forerunner, forefather who went through that thing with Abraham, you know, and when Sarah, they took Sarah, and then it was, so the story of that, I think, was carried through the generations here, right? And that would have been part of the history, and they would have said, okay, now, that was that guy's father, but, you know, this is that guy's, him himself, is probably in the same family. I mean, you know, it's a little bit of that of, Isaac probably did enjoy the coattails of his father. There was some reputation that went with that. But what's interesting that you see in Isaac is that he continues that walk of faith. And I'm imagining that the Philistines probably looked at this saying, it's a different guy but the same God. Let's not mess with that God, right? And so then what do they do is they say, well, then we're going to make a treaty with him and then we can be assured that we're not going to have any problems with him because, after all, we were so nice to him when uh, when he lived among us. Okay, so a little reconstructing of the of the history there. Okay, all right. Well, let's keep going. That day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. They said we found water. He called it Sheba. And to this day, the name of the town has been Beersheba. When, I, when Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Bere, the Hittite, and also Basemith, daughter of Elon, the Hittite. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Little foreshadowing there of some family drama that is yet to come, right? Okay? But again, now remember there was a lot of attention paid to who was going to marry Abraham and then who was going to marry Isaac, right, because of the covenant. And remember we talked about that some last time, or whenever it was that we talked about that, that, that the reason why God was so particular about who the child of the covenant would marry was because of the fact of the background of religion. That Because the background of religion was was that whoever you married brought their gods with them. God did not want to risk the idea that somehow there would be a a meshing, if you will, of the religious values. And the religious value was so critical and so important that it meant that uh, the the wife that would be chosen for Isaac and the wife that would be chosen for Isaac, Abraham, and then we're going to see the wife that's chosen for Jacob, had to be somebody within the within the family of believers, and so we talked a little bit about that. Um, I don't think among many people that they give much thought to that these days. In terms, of, I'm not saying everybody, because there's a lot of people that do, but um, uh, it's kind of interesting when I'm doing premarital counseling for people, we do talk about it and we do hit it pretty pretty strongly but um, that's not one of the first things that people look at in terms of what's important in the person that I marry. And it's not necessarily that that somebody's gonna be bringing their idols with them into the marriage. It's not like that, but what it often is is that there is a religious um, or a biblical illiteracy. And we see a lot of that today where people are simply not informed, they, they didn't grow up with the Bible, they didn't grow up with the idea that the Bible is the Word of God. It's a nice book, right? It's got a lot of wisdom. There's a few teachings in there that are morally helpful. That's the way that a lot of people view that today. And so what I found is they're quite surprised that um, we hit it as hard as we do, and then they're surprised how later on in life, the difference or the similarity they have religiously becomes way more significant because it's a way to, um, to join people together and it can be, can be something that separates people. Um, so anyway, we, t- we talked about that a couple weeks ago, okay? All right, so uh, we get a little foreshadowing here that there's something, something uh, grieving that's yet to happen. Okay, chapter 27. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he said. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat. So that I may give you my blessing before I die. So now, this was very common in those days that Isaac is thinking now about the estate. He's thinking about the inheritance. He's thinking about, it probably may be the covenant, but he's also thinking about we've acquired all of this wealth, all this prosperity, and I want to keep it in the family and leave it as a legacy to my son. And so, why does he pick Esau? He's the oldest by two minutes, right? But apparently that was uh, that was enough to assure that uh, that this was going to happen. So he says it to Esau, I want you to go out and and I want you to do your thing. And we remember that the remember the difference between Esau and uh, and Jacob. What was the difference between them? Among and this was one of them. Esau was a man's man? Yeah, Esau was a man's man. He'd go out and he'd hunt and living off the land and barbecuing stuff, and he might have had some spice mixture that we would like to discover today. I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that there were some wonderful tasty aspects to that. All right. And so anyway, and then the other thing that was the difference is that Esau was uh, Isaac's favorite. So remember, we, we sort of talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago, that this idea of favorite, who, loved, who which parent loves the one the most, and that kind of thing, that that was going to weave its way through even the families of, uh, of the forefathers of our faith. So, so he says, go out, and that I'm going to give you my blessing. So a little note here on the blessing uh, in your uh, study guide. A blessing was the way that the patriarchs passed to their heirs the blessings and responsibilities of the estate. Once pronounced, they could not be revoked, even if given dishonestly. And in this way, the blessing held the same authority as the king's edict. So included in the rite. So there wasn't just like, oh, we're just going like to tell you what is next for you. There was actually a rite, a, almost like a religious or a cultural uh, sort of rite of passage, if you will, that was uh, associated with that. But the physical touch was part of it, the laying on of hands like we do when people get ordained, right? And then uh, the picturing of a bright or special future. Now, what did, what did Isaac not know? had already occurred between Esau and Jacob regarding this very thing.
1: Esau had, already sold.
0: Esau had already sold his birthright, and so apparently that was either not known to Isaac, right, or it didn't matter because what the real thing was was this moment between the father and the son, okay? So at any rate, this is a big deal. This is not like just some little thing of, here, I'm giving you a book. Uh, this, is like, this is like the big thing. All right, so verse 5. Now Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. I know I love that part. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. So what clue do you get in those verses that there is this division in the family already? Yeah, Mary Jo. It says, his son Esau
1: he and her son Jacob.
0: Did you notice that? I, I noticed that as well, that the mention of it's not like our sons, right? It's your son and my son. I mean, it's almost like a blended family, you know, where there's, like being uh, intermarriage of some kind through divorce or, you know, through death or something, and they marry, and then it's your kids and my kids, and then who's going to be the one to discipline them and stuff like that? That comes up all the time. And so that's what we, that's what we see here. Um, and so you, you can see, though, in Rebecca, she, her intent, there's a clear intent here to deceive, Right? Can anybody relate to her? I mean, again, what she's doing is wrong, and that that, okay, we get that, that. There's a lie there, and I get that. But can we have any empathy for her, or is it just you know some self-serving thing on her part? Can you have any empathy? Maybe she said, "You're about to bless
1: the wrong guy. He married two wives I was, uh,
0: so you could have a little empathy for her you could okay well remember that you said that yeah i mean it's hard isn't it i mean it because it's 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 another example of what happens when people um hear god's promise and then say i'm just going to help god along here a little bit okay i'm going to take matters into my own hands And it it can't be a bad thing. It's really a good thing. I mean, you can almost see a justification, a little bit of a justification. And plus, you know, I think on some level she thought she was being a good mother. Right? Good mother. Right? Um, I mean, is it possible from a parental point of view to try to do too much to make things good and right for your kids? Is it possible to do that? I mean, this is sort of like the forerunner of the s- snowplow parent. Have you heard this phrase, snowplow parent? It's, it's what uh, people talk about that way up north. They don't talk about that down here. Down here, they talk about the lawnmower parent, okay? Yeah, so the old phrase was the helicopter parent. Are you familiar with that phrase, helicopter? So hover over your kids and make sure that the world is nice to them, and if, if it's not, drop bombs on them, okay? That's the idea, That's of the That's the helicopter parent. Well, the lawnmower parent is kind of the same idea, is that I want the best for my child, and I want my child to have it easier in life than I did. So what I'm going to do is start my lawnmower, and I'm going to mow the lawn in front of them so that they can walk behind unencumbered, right? Again, the intent is really good. It's good intent. Uh, now, if you move up north, then it's nobody's mowing their lawn this time of year. It's all snowplow, right? So in Buffalo, it's a snowplow apparent. And if you've ever seen, any of you like ever worked a snowplow before, like a snowblower or something like that, it's really quite uh, invigorating to do that. Um, you know, blowing it on the neighbor's thing—it's just so good. Yeah. Um, but but it but it creates a path, and the path is unencumbered, and so you can see where. The thought was a good thought. It was a good thought. It was like, I want to make it special for him because what would happen if only Esau got it and then uh, Jacob didn't get it? Um, How would Jacob feel? Oh, he would be crushed. He'd be devastated. What what an awful thing. My brother got it and I didn't get it. And then my life is lousy and he's privileged and I'm not and the whole thing, right? Yeah. Uh,
1: (laughs) so, I mean, there was a history of deceit the there anyway, and then women had so little power in that culture that they probably learned to act suburban
0: and just kind of work behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. The, it, it, it sort of is, again, this idea that I want I want things to be better for my kid than I had. for for myself okay and and the reality is is that you can do that too much but you don't often know it until later right because later when your kid uh, has a difficult time handling the pressure of the path right whatever that's going to hold the kid will sometimes turn to the parent and say i need for you to fix that for me and that's when they're in, – sometimes in college, those of you that are, that are associated with college, you know, as professors maybe or administrators know, that there's a whole crop of freshmen today that have their moms and dads wake them up on Monday morning for class. Yeah, and so again, it's just the, it, the intent is good, right? Yeah, my parents didn't do that for me, and that's how come I got in trouble most of the time. So it's just, you know, but what? how else are you going to learn, right? going? And so that's that's the idea. is taking away the opportunity to learn the hard way. Right. Yeah, Eddie. Well, the cheating was that my uh wanted to cook, or
1: prepare
0: the pastry
1: food to the Yes. And not to That's right.
0: Oh, that is a great point, Yeah. Yeah, where Esau was going to prepare it. Yeah, yeah. So, so her, her doing for him was even going to go further, even though he was more of a man of the tents. You know, um, where Esau was out hunting and getting stuff, uh, Esau or, or Jacob was always around the tents, and that was one of the things that, uh, uh, that Rebecca liked about him. They had just a tight relationship. So that's an excellent point, yeah excellent point and and the the phrase there tasty food shows up in in kind of both both uh, what she says as well as what uh, what he says so again we can only wonder what uh what that would have uh what that would have tasted like had a
1: particular taste for certain
0: thing. yeah i figure um i don't know if they had mesquite over there or <laughs> you know if it was hickory you know um yeah Olive branches. Yeah, I'm sure it was probably pretty good stuff. Yeah.
1: You know, this reminds me in Romans about where Paul writes, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Yeah. It talks about building our strength That's so right. Way, yeah. You know, if you're going to plow the path for your kid, you're weakening them.
0: Yeah, you know, there was an old saying that a lot of us grew up with um, that is not promoted anymore. And the old saying was, if it does, what doesn't kill you will make you what? Stronger. Stronger. That is not believed anymore in the younger generations. The younger generations believe that um, uh, it should be avoided at all costs. So, so you think, how, how will that be better, given the fact that crummy things happen, obstacles happen, You know, you you go to work and you think, if I do my job and I do it well, I'll get rewarded and I'll be able to advance. Mm -hmm. And then you work someplace where nobody even notices. And in fact, maybe penalizes you for some mistake you made and they don't even, aren't even looking at all the successful things you did. And you think, who's going to be there to fix that for me, Right. And the reality is nobody's going to be there to fix it for you. you got to figure out what to do with yourself, right? Because yeah, life is, and the world is not just. You don't get justice. Well, has
1: no work That's why people to work to work. Work
0: <laughs> work. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, you've, we all heard about the Great Resignation. Did you hear about that? You know, during COVID, a lot of people uh, quit their work um, and started to live on their retirement and different things like that. Well, these were people in their 30s and 40s It wasn't like people like at my age. And so a lot of people did that thinking that they could get better conditions, and maybe in some case they did. They wanted options to work from home and, you know, all those kinds of things. Who's getting laid off now is a lot of those same folks. And who's having a hard time getting work in this economy? Is those folks. Now, again, it's not to say, I mean, to some degree, I think you could sort of argue that some employers have taken advantage of workers over the years, and that certainly happens, right? But it's just this sense of uh, what do you do when the thought is, is that life is too hard and I think I'll just sit back and wait for it to get better or wait for someone to come fix it for me. Okay? And, and so what we're encouraging now, we're doing it with our church workers in particular, because a lot of people that were on the front lines during COVID, health workers, educators, church workers, are feeling uh, burned out. The, the uh, feelings of burnout are quite high in church work as well. Um, so we're talking to people about shifting their perspective from a great resignation to a great reset a reset. And so what is a reset? What's the difference between resigning yourself to something and resetting? What's the difference? A reset has a more of a positive future attached to it. And yeah, maybe the future looks a little different than it did before. Okay, I get that. Maybe how we do what we do is different. But I'm resetting to prepare for the next thing as opposed to uh, the idea of re- resigning myself and then just giving up and waiting for somebody to, uh, to rescue me. Okay, so interesting uh, differences there. Okay, I think what we're going to do is we're going to stop here and we'll just have to live in the tension of not knowing what will happen next. Now, if you feel that you should relieve yourself of the tension, you can read ahead and you can see what happens, right? Right? Or just go on some channel on TV and see the movie, all right? So either way, you can do it. But we'll pick it up here with this, uh, this invitation that a mother is inviting her son to conspire against their father in order to receive some blessing in life. And what I want you to think about is with the blessing comes some consequences, and maybe that happens more than just in the Bible, okay? Yeah. All right, let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the way that your word does not, uh, does not hide from us the human realities of our brokenness. It's amazing, Lord, as we go through all of these stories, how the brokenness of families and of people and people trying to do the right thing, but it blows up in their face and all those kinds of things so mirrors our lives today. And yet the, the thought or the, the, the teaching that, that permeates that whole, all of that is how faithful God you are to your promises in spite of our weakness and, and, and dysfunctionality and all those things. You are the God of mercy, you're the God of compassion, and you are the God of promise. So, Lord, help us in these days when there's so much noise going on around us, so many things, so many people clamoring for for the direction of life that we need to take and the things we need to believe in. Help us to keep our focus and our faith and our obedience on you. Because at the end of the day, the promises you make to us that we are your beloved, that you love us, that nothing changes that, and that's why you sent Jesus to be our Savior. That's the thing that we can build our lives around and that's the perspective we can take so watch over us this week dear lord we got thanksgiving coming up lots of people on the road traveling lots of thoughts going on about many different things but help us to stay safe help us to stay close to you and to each other until we're together again next week and we pray those things in jesus